This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have heard the discussion recently about how empathy can change the workplace, especially when it's coming from the leader of the company. To a degree, that change is a 180-degree turn from what has been the norm in corporate culture. But now there's an understanding that empathy, as it is known, can be a driver for growth and innovation as well. Michael Ventura is the founder and CEO of Subrosa, a strategy and design studio that has worked with some of the biggest corporate names out there. He has taken the experiences from those meetings and put them together in a book called Applied Empathy, The New Language of Leadership. And Michael joins us on the show right now. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thank you. When did you, in your personal life and your your business career, start to see empathy as an important element? So, you know, I think that it really was a, it was a slow burn for us. It wasn't something that was a, a thunderclap kind of moment. We went back and looked at about five years of, of, of work that we had developed and said, what made all of this work good? And, you know, and, and why, why was this work landing for our clients in such a way? And when we dug into it deeply, what we started to see was it's not about sitting in a room and shutting the door and saying, wouldn't it be cool if, or getting high on your own supply. It was when we got out of the building, got into the minds of the people we were trying to reach and really perspective took, right? Really went into their shoes and saw the world from their standpoint. And when we did that and brought that insight back in, the work got exponentially better. And so we, re- we really latched onto it at that point. And this was going back about three years ago that we discovered that and really started to make a practice and a methodology around it. So how prevalent is it, do you think, in today's corporate culture that you have the, this idea of empathy being a, a key driving element? Well, I think it's it's getting more important, but the problem is that I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is. There's a lot of people who hear right. empathy and equate it to being nice, right? Yeah. Or you know, you know, or being compassionate, and those are side effects of empathy often. But th- that in that in and of itself is not empathy. Really, empathy is a fairly objective, perspective-taking uh, process where you are aware of your own bias, you try to step as far out of that as you can and try to see and understand from someone else's point of view. And so I think when when organizations do that, leaders inside organizations, and that doesn't mean C-suite, I think that anyone in an organization can be a leader, um, leaders are able to connect better with their teams, connect better with their customers or their clients, uh, and ultimately deliver more well-rounded solutions. It's interesting because the first couple of couple of words you have in this book, and and I wanted to get you to expand on it further, is you call empathy a squishy word. Why, why so? Uh, well, I think that because of that misconception we were just talking about, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people make their own uh, version of of empathy, and so when you tell a you know I mean one of the one of the clients we worked with um, early on using this work was a enormous manufacturing multinational. And we sat down with a member of their C-suite and said, you know, we really think empathy is an important uh, aspect of, of how we're going to make this work successful. We were, we were almost laughed out of the room. Right. Um, and, and we had to actually say, hold on, hold on. Before you judge, let's actually talk about what this really means. And when we, you know, 15 minutes later, once we got through explaining that, the exec said, you know what? I stand corrected. This is exactly what we've been looking for. I just didn't know that that was empathy. So had I seen correctly that that your company had also done work uh, with people up at West Point, correct? 
That is, yeah. In fact, uh, that's a fascinating uh, little digression. So what ended up happening was we got out into the world and started doing this work with corporate clients. We also ended up going down to uh, Princeton University had reached out to us and asked us to create a curriculum. And we taught three semesters down there uh, using this framework, this, uh, this applied empathy right. uh, process. And one day the phone rang and it was, uh, it said West Point on the caller ID. And I said, oh man, who's this? And uh, answered the phone and they said, look, we've been listening to your podcast. We've been hearing the work you've been doing and we'd love to uh, invite you up to talk with us. And I thought that was going to be the toughest room I was ever going to be in. Um, sure. You know, I thought that this was going to be like the skeptics of the skeptics. And I walked in and I started talking about what we do and heads were nodding and people were leaning in and they were taking notes and they were talking and they were asking smart questions. And in the end, I went over to one of the, the generals who was in the room and I said, you know, I, I stand corrected. I thought this was going to be a really rough room. And he said, what the, the misconception with us is that is that we're very um, uh, closed minded, but we are actually a leadership development academy. And uh, and we are, you know, are dedicated to creating lifelong learners here. And so this is something we're, we're very voraciously consuming as a topic right now. And so this is this is a good place to be. You, you didn't think you were getting drafted or something when you got that call from West Point, <laughs> did you? I wasn't sure what what uh, skeleton in my closet had caused that to to happen. Right. <laughs> well, but but it is a great point playing off of uh, of the conversation you just mentioned with the general is the fact that there are businesses out there uh, that have a perception uh, of being one thing, and they seemingly could very well be the other, or are at least very willing to be adaptable to be able to take on some of these mindsets and philosophies. That's right. And, and, you know, I think that the, the topic du jour, you know, maybe five years ago was, was human-centered design, right? And people right. talked a lot about how that was a, a big part of developing uh, solutions for, for businesses. And human-centered design is a component of this for sure because that is a form of perspective taking, right? Going into the shoes of your end consumer and looking at the world from their view is, is certainly a critical aspect to developing empathy. But one of the things we've looked at is that there are other facets to it as well. I mean, you have to think about your current employees, your prospective employees, your shareholders, the media, you know, the list goes on. And so having empathy for having a perspective on how people in all of those different constituent groups look at you and your organization really helps you think about building uh, solutions, building building products, building culture, uh, building enterprise value um, with all of their perspectives in mind. Now, the other part to it is you talk about this this mindset around empathy being a driver for growth, but also being an innovator as well, which obviously those two right now tend to be synonymous quite often in that if you have the, 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 the level of innovation, you're going to end up driving growth at some point. Absolutely. And, you know, like innovation, empathy makes things harder before it makes things easier, right? Because it requires patience. It requires recommitment. You know, one of the things that we've seen a lot of the time inside organizations that are really committed to the idea of innovation is that they're committed to innovation when it happens quickly. But when innovation takes more than two quarters to turn a profit, then they start second guessing, well, we've got to keep writing checks for this and we've got to keep doubling down on this. Yeah. And, um, and much like empathy, innovation uh, does need this, this uh, double down sort of mentality where we're going to keep going for it because it will pay dividends. We just, it might take a while to reorient ourselves toward that mindset before it actually starts to you know, tick, the, tick the meter in the right direction. You talk about several different facets of, of empathy uh, that, that you have seen play out 
and, and I wanted to go through some of them if, if we could. Uh, you talk about the sage, the inquirer, the convener, the alchemist, the confidant, the seeker, and the cultivator. Take us through a couple of those and, and how you have seen them play out in the various companies that, that you've worked with. Yeah, sure. So we, we created these archetypes as a way to really start to understand how to put yourself into different uh, ways of being empathic and gathering information in a way. So thinking about it from you know, just being autobiographical, the, uh, the convener is one archetype that I, I naturally tend towards, right? And the convener's behavior is to host. They know how to hold space. They know how to create an environment where people feel comfortable, comfortable sharing. And in so doing, they learn a lot about those folks. So think about a focus group, for instance, right? If you create a focus group environment where people are comfortable and they drop into a state where they're willing to share, you're ultimately able to get more information out of them and, and, and understand them better. So that's a way I naturally tend. Uh, another uh, archetype is the alchemist, right? And the alchemist's behavior is to experiment, to prototype, to fail fast. Yeah. Um, not my natural uh, DNA, in fact. Uh, it's probably, <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, that said, one of our clients that we've worked with over the years is Google's Creative Lab. And Google's Creative Lab is designed as an alchemist's shop, right? They tell you on day one of working with them, we don't want PowerPoints. We don't want presentations. Right. We want you to come in and show us what you prototyped, what, how it broke, what you learned from it, and where we're going next. And so uh, I, in, in working with them, had to really get myself into a mindset where I could walk in that room and be a little more inclined towards an alchemist and a little less inclined towards a, a convener in order to work better with them. So these archetypes have all been designed to sort of uh, help us try on different perspectives and see where our strengths are, see where our weaknesses are. We believe all of us are all seven, just in inequally distributed ways. Right. So once you know your strengths and your weaknesses, you can adjust accordingly. Do, do, do startups tend to fall in that alchemist category? Sorry, could you just repeat that? I, I was going to say, do startup companies, do they tend at times to fall into that alchemist category? Yes, I think they do, because there's a tendency with them to uh, to make sure that what they're doing is is innovating upon uh, a category. You know, they're always trying to be the, the, the game changer or the, or the shifter of perspective in right. startups. But, you know, what's interesting with startups is... They often have a culture of, um, and many of them do, I can't speak for all, obviously, but many of them have a, a culture of design by committee early on because it's, you know, three or four core founders. They all yeah. believe in the same thing. They sit around a room. And so there's this behavior of, of real perspective taking from each other early on. But when those companies grow at scale, right, and they exponentially shift from five people to 50 people to 500 people over the span of maybe uh, 12 months, what ends up happening, I think, is that the uh, the 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 culture doesn't change, so they still try to perspective take to that same degree. So one of the things we've done in working with startups is having them start to understand too much bottom up feedback is going to slow you down. Too much top down dictatorial behavior is going to lose your your original culture. So where on that slider uh, do we need to plug ourselves into now for the best uh, outcomes of the business? Michael Ventura mm -hmm. is the uh, is our guest. He is the author of the book Applied Empathy: The New Language of Leadership. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. But I would think as much as seeing empathy as a positive and as a driver and as a growth, there, there's probably the, the opposite side of that scale, where if you don't delve into it, that the, there is obviously a, a path to the negative, correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that we, the 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 biggest shortcoming of an of an organization with without it in its DNA uh, is that it starts to become very myopic. It starts to become very uh, ivory towered. It starts to become sort of you know closed minded to the rest of the world around it. And for a while, that might be okay. You know, one of the cases I talk about in the book was um, in the in the growth and sort of massive uh, heyday of Polaroid. You know, they were living yeah. in a wor- in a world where you know instant film was was all there would ever be. Um, and and while innovation had been happening sort of off to the side there, and people were saying, "Hey, we should pay attention to this thing called digital," the film business was so gangbusters at that point that there there wasn't really as much of an interest to pay attention to it and and lo and behold that led to their demise kodak as well correct kodak as well yeah exactly i mean they invented the first personal computer but were too busy uh running lease deals on photocopiers to pay attention to it because they you know counting their money as uh, as as monthly lease uh payments came in yeah. they weren't they weren't ready to take it one of the the firms that that you talk about and you've worked with in the past is a a favorite of ours here at Wharton is Warby Parker uh take us into what you saw with with their operation as to how empathy uh plays an important role Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the, the, the pre-Warby Parker era, if you can, um, you know, it's sort of uh, hard to imagine at this point. But in that era, you know, going to get eyeglasses was, you know, tantamount to, you know, getting your teeth cleaned, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a great experience for anybody. And, uh, and we got a call from actually Neil, um, who's one of their founders. Yep while they were in their final year at Wharton. Um, and, uh, and I had known Neil from undergrad, and he called and said, hey, we're, we're, we're thinking about doing this, this, this thing. It's going to be very disruptive into the, into the eyewear category, and we want to sit down and talk with you guys. And so our work early on with them was really talking about uh, how their brand would uh, show up at retail because they had their their notion early on was that they would never do brick and mortar and that it would only be uh, done via um, digital and then you know shipping samples for you to try on and and so one of the first things that that we talked about with them is they said you know while we think this is the right road to sow we can't get caught um, not being prepared for brick and mortar should that time come and so some of the early work we did with them was thinking about how would we take a really efficient and seamless online experience and translate that to a physical real world environment without losing the magic of it. And that really came down to empathy in some ways too. It was about understanding the end consumer's uh, lack of grit in that process in working with Warby Parker digitally and saying, well, what would make a physical experience the same way, you know, and not waiting for someone to take the eyeglasses out of a glass case for you to sure. try them on, to let you just walk out, walk in, grab them, put them on, look in a mirror and decide for yourself, you know, like putting the agency in the hands of the consumer. Well, and, and that is obviously that's the ultimate goal of, of so many companies. And it has been for a while, but it's seemingly it, it's become even uh, uh, of higher importance is that customer experience. It, it is incredibly important right now for a company, any company to give the customer the best experience that they have so that they can retain them. It's all about the relationship right now. Exactly. And I think that the, the, the tendency with a lot of organizations is to think about those in silos, right? Because that's the way they're typically organized inside the organization. So you'll have a digital team who thinks about the digital experience, and you'll have a retail team who thinks about the retail experience. But consumers don't say, I'm going to now go be a digital consumer. 
and then later on this afternoon when I leave the building, I'm going to be a physical real-world consumer. They just, they're, they're a consumer. And so you know, we've got these false walls that we build inside organizations because it, it serves hierarchy and it serves uh, reporting structures and it serves uh, you know, growth plans and things like that. But it doesn't serve integration. It doesn't serve cross-pollination of ideas. It doesn't serve the collaboration that's ultimately what makes uh, uh, something go – you know, that creates that one plus one equals three kind of uh, uh, action inside a company. Michael Ventura, uh, author of the book Applied Empathy, The New Language of Leadership. He's also the founder and CEO of Subrosa. You talk about also th- – this is not only just the ability – uh, of of companies to to grow and to innovate and all different elements, but this eventually, hopefully, is a way for people to be able to look at themselves uh, maybe in a different way that they had in the past. Absolutely, we have seen time and again with this work, and, and even again speaking uh, autobiographically, but looking at our team, um, when people start to do this, when people start to become aware of of, of how to perspective take and how to train the empathy muscle, because I do believe it is a muscle. Sure, some people over-index, some people might be born with more of it than others, but it is something much like any other muscle. If you train it, it will get better. It will get more refined. And when you do that and when you train, you start to discover how your biases have perhaps held you back as a leader. You know, if you have a, if you have a tendency to not ask deep questions because you don't want to get pulled into deep conversations with people, you kind of want to just make a decision and, and usher people into action. Well, that's going to limit the, the, the level of depth you get to with some of your colleagues. And so as we work in different ways with these leaders, what they come to find is learning how to do this for others helps them learn a lot about themselves. If you'd like to join in with your comments and questions, Michael Ventura joining us, the founder and CEO of Sabrosa and author of the book Applied Empathy, The New Language of Leadership. So uh, more and more companies are are obviously buying in and believing that this is an important element to uh, to their success and to their operations. Where do you see this going in in the next couple of decades? So my, my hope, right, is that this is uh, sort of the evolution of human-centered design in our world. This is, this is something where we've put the consumer first in, in some of the best companies in the world. When you look at, when you look at organizations that are really growing, really um, nailing it in, in terms of uh, understanding their consumer, their, you know, their stock price rises, their employee retention rises, you know, all of those key metrics that you want to see are on the rise. However, we are living in a more ecosystemic world than ever before, where things rely upon each other in a way that is much more dynamic and much more entangled than it was even you know, a decade ago. And so our view is that as organizations start to adopt this mindset and this way of thinking, it's going to allow them to not just think about the, the end consumer or the problem just at hand, but maybe perhaps something slightly adjacent. I'll give you a quick example. I was talking with a big furniture company a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about how they're so concerned about their competitors, their direct competitors, uh, uh, launching something that's going to destroy their their growth path. And I said, well, your direct competitors are one thing, but what are you thinking about your indirect competitors? And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, a a new millennial family who's thinking about a new sofa for their apartment isn't thinking only about sofa versus sofa. They're thinking about maybe sofa versus new Sonos system for their apartment so they sure. have a better sound system. Yeah. And and you know and and that type of ecosystemic thinking that's really empathic to the the world around the organization not just what is historically the consumer and the direct competitor is what opens the aperture to bigger solutions.
844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the companies that you've worked with I wanted to touch on here at the end because they've certainly made a lot of news in the last uh, couple of months is General Electric and, and GE and some of the changes that they are going through as a company right now uh, on, on the corporate side. But but. How have they kind of adapted this uh, use of empathy into their world? So we particularly with them, um, and we, we've worked with the organization for probably eight years in various different capacities across the corporate level as well as down at business unit levels. And I think the work that we've done has proven to be some of the most integrated work that the, that the business has, has brought in. So, for example, we were brought in on the healthcare business, which is actually doing quite well. And one of the things that um, the, the healthcare business re- realized early on was that they were so product and engineering focused, they needed to think about other ways to spur growth. And so we came in and helped them think about how to add service layers to their product business, how to really build consumer insights uh, 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 inputs into the overall, not just design of the physical product, so like an MRI or a, or a uh, you know mammography machine, right. but also how does that then parlay into um, services that you offer the customer, the hospital in this case, right? So the hospital is going to buy this very expensive machine but if they put it in a, in a system where you, the patient goes through the same lackluster experience the whole way through, there's no real there's no real differentiation. But now you've seen probably in some of the articles and news about the the business, um, some of their imaging businesses are designing, for example, uh, MRI machines designed exclusively for children that look yeah. like pirate ships and stuff like that. So it starts to kind of make it feel like an experience that is mindful of how traumatic it might be for a kid. Have a minute left. You you also did this with the White House. Uh, with the prior administration, correct? Yes, exactly. With the uh, with the with the Obama administration, this administration is not as much of a fan. But um, right, right. The, yeah. but, with the, but with the Obamas, um, we actually work particularly in two areas: one uh, in indigenous rights, resources, and people, and the other is uh, in the national parks to figure out ways to help people understand the value of uh, either STEM education in, in, in Indian country in America uh, or in um, the value in our, our national park system and how that can really be an inspiration, particularly for inner city kids, to learn the value of getting outside of the city and seeing a bigger picture of the world. Got that right. There's no question about that. Michael, great job with the book. Thank you for your time today. All the best. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Applied Empathy is the book, The New Language of Leadership by Michael Ventura. It is available in bookstores and online right now for your pickup and purchase. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 